0: Good morning, church. You are all looking great. Yeah, get a good amen on that. Looking wonderful. Well, today we're starting a brand new series, and I want to go ahead and dive in. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and we're really going to be breaking those verses down, and we'll read some other verses today as well, but I'm not sure if we're going to get through everything there on those first two verses. I really doubt it, and and we'll uh, pick back up on those next week, but let's go ahead and begin. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, many people would read these two verses and believe that we need to be thinking about heaven. Our minds, we need to get set and thinking about that every day. we go through our lives, thinking about heaven. And if you continue to read chapter three, which over this series we're going to look at uh, a lot of the rest of of chapter three, you'll see where it says, mortify or put to death these things and then it lists these bad things. The bad stuff. And then on down below it says, put on brotherly kindness and love and these kind of things. So put off the, stop doing the bad stuff and do the good things. Think on heaven all right stop doing the bad stuff do the good things but is that really what the verses are talking about now before we answer that question let me say this many believers in the church in America at large we live our lives many times trying to be good enough to get to heaven and, and we do that a lot of times because of maybe how we were taught or what the culture says of how God acts, how he thinks, how he is. But God never intended for us to live on the earth thinking, oh, I've got to do this so I can make it to heaven. Oh, no, I did that. God's not happy with me. No, he doesn't want us to have that kind of a struggle, that constant struggle to live according to standards that God never intended for them. Coming to a standard of, oh, perfection. I got to be like this. Got to do that. Don't be real bad. Be as good as I can. Day-to-day battles, fighting, questioning our holiness. And they're standing with the Creator we can't question our standing with the Creator every day and live that way. God never intended for us to live that way. God's desire for us is to step into being His children and live in victory and freedom that He has designed for each of us. That's what He designs for all of us. The Creator wants all who believes in Him to live the garden life. And that's the title of this series is the garden life. You may look at that and go, well, what is that? Now, maybe you remember that phrase when we talked about it on March 31st in part two of the series, Last Words of Christ, we looked at the garden life, and that's where this series is birthed out of, is birthed out of that message. And we're going to be breaking this down, what it means to live the garden life. But before we continue, let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you it never returns void. I thank you that all of our hearts and our minds would be open to receive what you have for us here this day, at this moment, this time, and that all distractions will be gone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So the answer to the question, about these verses, is that really what it's talking about for us just to set our mind on heaven and be thinking about heaven? Because it says, think on things above, you know, and do that. The answer is absolutely no. God never intended us to live our daily lives every day thinking about heaven or thinking about the afterlife. That's another, you know, way of saying it. He doesn't intend for us to go through our days thinking all day, every day about heaven. And oh, how great that's going to be. Now look, it's not wrong to think about heaven and how great it is. It's not wrong to do that. But that should not be our focus. That should not be the end of what we're looking at. As all day long, every day, thinking along those lines. Because I believe God wants us to have fruitful, victorious, joy-filled lives with a focus on doing His will. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that God reconciled us. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and that we are ambassadors for him. And the word ambassador in that scripture, and we don't have that on screen right now just for the sake of time, but the word ambassador is a very interesting word because that word is a position. God has called you and I to a position. We are to take that position and run with it. Now, let's look back at Colossians 3, verse 1. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above. Somebody say, above. So, this word's an interesting word as well. Now, in the Greek, this word means upward, which is a direction, or it means on the top, On the top, and here in this verse, we look at we see that this you know word above is really not talking about a direction. So we, in our culture, and you know, I remember it when I was young. I watched this movie, uh, Younger. I I don't remember exactly when it came out. I went to the theater, and I remember I went with I think I went with Hugh Carrie, I think, but it was All Dogs Went to Heaven. Or all dogs go to heaven, right? Not one day. All dogs go to heaven. How many remember that? You know? Now, I have a dog. Now, I believe my dog is going, you know, when you know he passes away, where when I die, I'm going to see my dog again. Now, look, maybe that's not your theology. That's okay. That's perfectly fine. I'll see my dog, and you don't have to see your dog. That's cool. Uh, you know, but... I love my dog, and I think about my dog, and he comes up, and I pet him, and I, you know. But in the movie, and I vaguely remember this a little bit, but you know, when the dogs die, you know, the the heavens open up and all this, and the dog's going up to heaven and all this stuff. And it's up in the sky and the clouds, and you always go that direction up, okay? We're here in the United States. Now, I didn't before. I should have probably prepared this and thought about it what is the country on the total opposite side that we are right now where we're standing anybody know maybe you could shout that out you know i, I see a bunch of i'm not so sure you know maybe it's australia whatever something but if you're sitting here and you point up and go up if they're on the other side of the earth and they point up where are they going Look, folks, have you ever thought about that? See, sometimes we just need to apply common sense to Scripture, and then all of a sudden things change just a little bit. Because, see, the word above here is not talking about a direction. It means on the top. God wants us to be on the top of life right here, right now. amen and see as we go through here you'll begin to see this and you'll you'll see it a different way god wants us on top of life right here right now not get to heaven minded but being victorious in this life right now in other words the word above is not directional it's positional are are you here church Philippians 3:14. Let's read this. Look at this. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The word high there is the same Greek word that we just read in Colossians for above. It's translated as high here. Now, can high mean a direction? Sure. But high here means on the top. That's what it means. In other words, you have a high calling. You have an elevated position in Christ. You are called to an elevated position in God. That's good. I like that. And see, sometimes translations can be misleading if you're not you know, careful. Because here, the prize that you see in this verse here in Philippians 3.14, the prize is not heaven. It's what the position of the high calling brings. It's that now I am the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm the righteousness of God. I am his child. And now I am on the top. The prize is the call. Amen? And sometimes these translations can be misleading. In the New Living Translation, for for example, for for this verse here, if we take that verse off the screen for now, for a moment, just take a, it says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, the word heavenly trips a lot of people up. So you've got to have your theology right when you read some of these versions because sometimes you'll, you know, you won't get it. I love this translation right here. We're going to put this on screen now. This is by David Bentley Hart, the New Testament, a translation. This is great. Look at this, church. I press onward to the mark for the prize of God's call above in the anointed one, Jesus. Now, keep that up there, and I want to read this again, but I want to replace the word above with the Greek definition that it's talking about. I press onward to the mark for the prize of God's call of being on top in the anointed one, Jesus. Mm, That's good. Because see, what that does for us is get us out of the mindset of, oh, I need to be really good here. Oh, I messed up here so that I can get to heaven. And it gets us out of that mindset and more into the position that we're supposed to be in, the calling that God's called us as ambassadors of Christ here on the earth. And when you do that, church, when you're an ambassador for God, when you're an ambassador for Christ, and you are really walking in that, what you're doing is you're living the garden life. He you say, well, man, that sounds like, wait a minute, a position ambassador, he's got some work to do. He's got stuff to do. Oh, but it's the greatest job in the universe. How many like your job? Well, some of you, excellent. Some of us, when we go to work, it's a grind. We're like, oh, I don't really like that. Just so you know, <laughs> I love my job. <laughs> you know, it, and, and it's, isn't it better when you really like doing what you're doing and you get paid, (laughs) makes it a whole lot better. And some of you that raised your hands and you said you like your job, I bet you've had a job before that you didn't like. And you know the difference. And when you don't like the job, it is a chore. It's, I mean, it's hard to wake up in the morning and go. But see, being an ambassador of Christ, it's not a chore, it's a joy. And it's easy to wake up when you know who you are and you go through your day. How can I affect somebody else for Jesus? Amen. Now, some of you may, you might be thinking, wait a minute, how is being on top in life a call? You know, think about it. When we see somebody else and their life is improved by something, what do we want to do? We want that thing. You know, it's been throughout the ages. When somebody gets a... You know, I remember I had a car. My first car was a 1984 Toyota Corolla that my dad gave to me, and he had it. And the windows was those crank windows. You know, crank window. Now, when I got a car that had the button... Oh, man, that's cool this is too cool. And I just kept doing it. Why? Not that it was just neat or that it was cool. It was going to make my life easier. In other words, it was going to make my life better. And when you go to the, you don't never go back to the hand crank. Forget that. This is a whole lot more convenient I don't know about you, church, but I love toilets over outhouses. <laughs> Once the toilet came, uh, imagine all the people, you know, when the first toilet was announced and everybody started going, oh, indoor plumbing, indoor a uh, toilet, and we, you mean I don't have to go outside? I want one of those. Everybody wanted it. why? Because it was going to make their life. That's right. So it was going to make their life better. And whenever we see something that somebody else gets or has that makes their life easier or makes it better, we want it. And when they see the joy on your face because you're walking in the call of God and they don't have that same joy, they're going to want it because they want their life to be better. Amen? So the call is the prize. It is the prize. It's being on top. And when you live the garden life, in other words, living your best life now, people see that and they're going to want it. Let me me give a definition for now of the garden life and what we're going to do is we're going, as we go through the series, we're going to add to this definition. We're going to keep expanding because there's a lot to living the garden life. So when we go along We'll continue to define, but for now, let's say this. The garden life is living life in the position that Jesus established for you by way of the cross. One more time. The garden life is living life in the position that Jesus established for you by way of the cross. That's what we know so far that we've looked at with the garden life. Now, let's look back at one of the last words that Jesus said when he's on the cross. Now, again, we looked at this on March 31st, but I want to go through it again because it establishes what we're talking about with the garden life. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus was on the cross and he said said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, and he's talking to the thief next to him, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This is what Jesus said to the thief next to him on the cross. Now, the word paradise, it's an interesting word. It's paradosis in the original language. It's an old word that was first used by an ancient Greek historian named uh, Xenophon of Athens. He was born in 430 BC. His writings were were during that time period. He was a contemporary of and admirer of Socrates, ancient Greece, and the Persian Empire. Now, when this man used this word, uh, paradosis, it was a word used to talk about and describe and refer to the garden of the kings. Paradise was a word that hung around throughout the centuries after this man began to use it. And it was a word that a first century Jew, be it Jesus or the thief next to him, would have been very familiar with as it pertained to the word picture of a garden of the kings. Now, with that historical context in mind, let's read one more verse in that. Then he said to Jesus, and this is the thief speaking in verse 42 Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The word kingdom there is important. Next verse again, and Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. But look at 42 again. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief was talking to Jesus about a kingdom. And the kingdom is about a king. Our king has a garden. Amen? And Jesus, when he was saying, Today you'll be with me in paradise, he was talking about the garden of the king, the garden of with the king. Jesus was telling the thief, today you'll be living the garden life with me. In other words, you were made, you and I, and we were made. We were made for the garden life. Now, the word Jesus used, the same word, and we're going to establish this here. The word paradise used in Luke 23, is the same word that's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament. That word is actually in the Septuagint used 30 times in the Old Testament. Okay? Paradise is the same word used in Genesis 2 to describe Eden, the Garden of Eden, the Paradise of Eden. In Genesis 2, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, let's just stop there and leave it there. The thief was invited by Jesus to go back to Eden, back to the Garden of Eden, back to the way it was before the fall, back to the garden life with God, with Jesus, with the king, back to the garden of the king. From Genesis to Revelation, we see Jesus is talking about living the garden life with him. He's talking about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of him on your heart. Amen? That's what he's referring to in Revelation 2, 7. We see it here as well. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is not a prophetic thing for the future in, Roman, in Revelations chapter 2 and Revelations chapter 3. All the things that were said to the seven churches were for then because those seven churches all existed at that time. Archaeological evidence shows that all of those churches existed then and John was giving a prophetic word to them for right then. Are, 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 are we here? We are not, and I will say this, this is a side note, we are not the Laodicean Church. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, where, you know, the last church. We are not that. The Laodicean Church existed at that time that was a word for them. That's not us. We are the church, the connection, we we are part of the church of Woodbridge, Virginia. Smaller sect of that, the Connection Church. And the church of Woodbridge, Virginia is part of the larger Virginia church. Our, see, the church are, it's people. And when John was speaking at that time, he was speaking to those people at that time. Now, if that baffles you and you're like, oh no, oh my gosh, I'm oh going to set it aside. Let's get right, we'll get right back to it. I just wanted to throw that in there so that you would know and see. So Revelation 2.7, he's speaking to a church at that time. It's not even important which church it is. I don't even have that verse on here. It's not important. What's important is that he says this to them right then and there. This is Jesus had already come to the cross. Jesus had already raised, right? All of that had happened. Pentecost had already taken place. And here's John, and he's speaking to the church right there. And he's saying to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. See, this is not some symbolism thing. For, no, he's talking about right then which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What was he saying? You're going to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You're going to live the garden life. Because I came and rose again and you are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are you have a throne on the inside and I'm sitting on it and now you can live the garden life. You're going to get this in a minute. Church, Mm. yep, I'm going to go ahead and say it now. I think it was for later, but I'm going to say it now. Jesus, or God, let's go with this. God walked in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam and Eve. Okay? He walked with them. The word is walked. Now, theologians all over the place... Or I mean, they are just all over the place on this. Well, what did God look like to Adam and Eve? Was it just a thundering voice? Because it's talked about, you know, that his presence was like a wind in the tree, all this. He said, well, what did God look like? And they're talking about all this, and what did it mean when he said walked? Let me explain to you what it meant. It's very simple. Sometimes we overcomplicate it, we overthink it, because we think, oh, Jesus, don't, God, you know what? Jesus was God, yes, and he walked on, and that was the first time he walked on the earth. Baloney. He walked on the earth in Genesis just like this. I'm going to show you. Hey, Adam. Hey, how you doing, buddy? That is exactly how he walked in. And that's what he looked like. Not exactly like me, of course. (laughs) God walked, he had legs. He came, that's how he appeared to Adam and Eve. He walked with them and talked with them. Now look, you can, that's my theology because that's what I read, that's what I see. He walked with them. Now what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They disobeyed God. God couldn't walk anymore with them. There was a separation that took place. And so they couldn't see him anymore. And then what God had to do is speak to people through his prophets and he would speak to the different ones. He would say, Samuel, Isaiah, tell my people this. That's how God had to communicate. Unless a miraculous thing like he showed or appeared as an angel. That was the only way. God was no longer walking with man on the earth until Jesus came and God walked again on the earth. And what was he doing? He was coming to pay a price for you and for me so that we could have him on the inside and he could be with us in the same way. Oh yeah, it's a little different. But in the same way, in the same power, the presence See, this, the Genesis that there was a presence. When he walked in the cool day, there was a presence. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he breathed on them, they received the Holy Ghost. And now, when, you get, when someone gets saved, you feel a presence. God is with you now wherever you go. The first Adam failed, but the second didn't. By one man's offense... Sin entered the world and separated, and by one man, now we get to have the righteousness of God and reign in life. That's what Romans says that we reign in life, in Romans 5:17. It's through Christ that I'm able to live the garden life. It's all been about the kingdom of God. See, it was all about the garden. In Genesis, and Jesus had to come down, and now He said He had to establish His kingdom here on the earth. And what is that? It's paradise, it's the garden life. Yes, we don't see it in the spiritual realm in the same way that those who've gone on that, you know, before us. But God wants us to live in a victorious life, living with God loving God and loving others. Colossians 3, back to Colossians 3, 1. If you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, maybe you're not totally convinced that Colossians 3, 1 is telling us not to seek heaven, because you see the part where it says, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Isn't Christ sitting in heaven? And this thing is telling, this verse, and Paul's telling us to seek that Seek heaven, seek, uh, think, uh, think on it and uh, meditate on that. Isn't Christ sitting in heaven? Yes, he is sitting in heaven. And this is where, you know, Brother Mark last week, and he came and speaking, Mark Shell, and he began to talk about the three heavens. And I briefly want to talk about that really quick. And, and before he came, I was talking the day before with uh, mom and dad, and I was talking about the three heavens and how we're going to be talking about this in this series. And then Mark shows up and he starts talking about the three heavens. And I was like, wow, man, that's confirmation. And the things he was saying, I'm going to say all, I'm going to, and then I thought, I was going to say all of that, man. You know, so at the same time, I was thinking confirmation, but then I'm thinking, oh, man, he said it before I did. And they're going to think I'm just copying him. <laughs> But I already had that. And I was looking at it. Why? Because it's important to what we're talking about right here. The first heaven, it's the lowest heaven. It's earth's immediate physical environment, the atmosphere that surrounds us. It's the air we breathe. It's the place where the birds fly. It's the sky where the clouds form and move. Winds blow and rains fall. We see that's what the first heaven is in Scripture. In the second heaven, it's identified scripturally as the universe, which is outer space, the expanse beyond Earth's atmosphere. The third heaven is God's dwelling place, His throne room, and the abode of angels. It's obviously of the spiritual realm, which we, we look at the triune... Uh, uh, theme here we see that the third heaven it represents the spirit the second heaven the soul which is that outer space area and the first the body which is right here on the earth that's where we see it relate to and again when we look here and we see about the third heaven it's not we we have no idea where that is we have one world church we have two realms we have a natural realm and a spiritual realm and heaven is in the spiritual realm I have no idea where it is. For all I know, it's right here right now and we just can't see it. See, most people look up and they think heaven's way up there somewhere and if you get a Hubble telescope or something, maybe you could just, if you looked around enough, maybe you could get to the right spot and see where heaven is way out there. Nope. You're not gonna see it. You can't see it because it's in the spiritual realm. You can't see it. In Colossians 3, 1, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, Paul said this, it's twofold. Here's the reason why. The phrase is simply Paul showing that Christ has authority and that Christ has returned to his rightful place on God's throne. Get this, God left the third heaven to walk on earth, okay, once again. The first time was in Eden, he was walking on the earth, And the second time was in the form of Jesus Christ, God's Father, the Son. His his Son came and walked on the earth. He left that position. He was still fully God and fully man, but he left that throne. He left some of the benefits of that throne. It was impossible for him to have all the benefits up there. What's one of the benefits of being on that throne? Feeling no pain. Feeling no suffering. The sand beneath him and the rocks beneath his feet as he walked on this earth, he didn't, he didn't have to feel that. God left the third heaven to walk among us once again. And it was to establish his kingdom so we could live the garden life again. This is why Paul is saying this. And we see this, this theme in Paul when he's talking in the other scriptures and it all goes together. And the second thing is Paul spelled out the authoritative position of Christ so that, so that we would seek, which means to strive after, the authority that's been given to us. What allows us to have an above, on the top authority position? It's in the first phrase of the verse that we've been looking at, Colossians 3.1. If then you were raised with Christ. We were raised with Christ. And because of that, he says now... I'm at the right hand of the Father. If you're raised with me, in other words, you're a believer. That's what that means. That's all that means. You're a believer. You believe that he rose from the dead. You believe that in your heart. You confess him as Lord. If you believe that, I'm at the right hand of the Father. Seek the authority, the power that I have given you because it's through Christ that we get to the Father. It's through Christ that all things are under my feet. It's through Christ are you here, church? That's what he was saying. Seek the authority that I have given you. Take the position as the ambassador, as my child on the earth, as my representative on the earth, and walk and live in the garden life that I have given my life for. Because that's what he gave it for, so that you and I could live that garden life here on the earth and have communion with him. The purpose of this morning, of this message, is to convince you, or to show you, maybe you were already convinced, maybe you already knew, to show you that we don't live our lives trying to be good to get to heaven. We live our lives with a purpose and with a mission from the Heavenly Father. And it is through His Son we live in Christ, and when we live in Christ, we live differently. Let me give you an example. Maybe you're living in a neighborhood, maybe on your job, maybe there's someone around. Maybe you work with children. This is even a better answer. And there's a, there's a really difficult situation with one of the children that you're working with. You know, you're a teacher or whatever it may be. I know my daughter, she works with, uh, you know, children. We've got others here that, that work with children. And the child, you know, there's some sort of issue with the child. And you don't have the answer. Because, you know, the the child is needing something that you don't know. You don't have the expertise. You don't know how to give them the answer. But you know who knows? God knows. Maybe that neighbor is going through something in life, and they're struggling. And you're thinking to yourself, man, that's a bad situation. Oh, that's awful. I, I, I feel so bad. I like an example that, that Rob, he taught in the men's breakfast yesterday morning. There was a woman and his man, her husband, was in the hospital. He said, she said, I didn't have time to feel sympathy for him. All I had time for was to believe so that he would be raised. Out of that. He was, he was going to die. He had coded a couple of times. But she said, I never felt sympathy for him. See, at some point, and sympathy is a natural human reaction. I'm not telling you not to feel that. When you first hear it, feel the sympathy, but allow that sympathy to pull you into the spirit. Get into the spirit and stop sympathizing and get the answer for that person. Amen? Look, And church, there's nothing like when you get an answer from God for somebody else and you tell them and their situation begins to change. There's nothing like that. There's no video game movie. There's no pleasure on this earth that compares to the feeling of being used by the heavenly father. When you're in Christ, there's nothing like it. When you live, move, living on top and you're showing others how to do the same. Amen. If you're a believer, then you've been raised with Christ. Where was Christ raised to? To the right hand of the Father. If we're raised with him, what does that mean for us? We just talked about it, but Ephesians 2.6 spells it out even more. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He was speaking to the church. Paul was speaking to the church, saying this. Us being raised with Christ gives us a new identity. We are in Christ Jesus. Our present position is not like everyone else who is not in Christ. We have a new place for living, a new arena of existence. We now sit in heavenly places, therefore we have a right to the kingdom of God. Now I have a right to be called the child of God, an ambassador for him. Now I have a right to put all things under my feet. Now I have a right when these circumstances get too hard to shake them off. Now I have a right when thoughts bombard my mind, I can raise the shield of faith that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter six and I can quench all the fiery darts that are coming at me. Every single thought, now I have a right to do that. Why? Because I'm living on top. I'm living on the top. I have a right to things that others who do not know Christ, they don't have that right. I have a right to things the promises that are written in the word of God. And I'm not to live my life wondering and struggling whether or not I'm good enough. I live my life victorious and ambassador for him. Let's all stand. We're going to talk a little bit more about those heavens And get into that a little bit more. We don't have time to get into that and how that we're to set our mind and what that means. Because there's another part of that verse there. We're not even done talking about verse 1 and 2 of Colossians. We're just getting it. We're just getting in. Because there's so many things that's good. Now, again, today is to get you thinking, look, if you haven't been living the garden life, maybe this week's just been miserable. It's been horrible. Maybe the last several years have just been horrible. You've been beat down by one thing after another. It's been a struggle in your mind, in your body. Where'd you go? And, and you just, it's just been a struggle. And you just don't have the victory that you know that you should have. And that's what this is, is to say, hey, there's, there is a level to get to. There is a place to go. And it is in Christ. And where is Christ? At the right hand of the Father. That is the most supreme authoritative position in the universe. And we have access to that. Mm, That's good. That's really good. And we just read that, and the scripture proves that. That's about all the time we had for for this morning. Now, next week and the week after, we're going to talk about how to live on top. You know how you get a position? You get a job and you're new and you and you got to be trained how to do the job. Well, next week we're going to, in it, it, the next couple of weeks, it's the training manual. You know? It's the, oh, this is the steps. Oh, that's how we do this. That's how we do that. And we begin to look at a lot of the nuts and bolts of living on the top. And, we'll, and we won't even finish in this series all the things that are there because it's his word. Amen? And don't, you know, don't get overwhelmed and think, oh man, I got all this stuff. No, 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 no. It's not like, it's easy. You know it. We just got to pull it out and we've got to use it and apply it. Sometimes we know things, but we don't apply them. We don't apply them. I know stuff, but I don't always do it. Amen. God's got a garden. It's his kingdom. He wants us to live victorious in his kingdom. If this morning you know that you're a part of the kingdom, but you're kind of like just kind of floating around, not doing a whole lot, you know you're in the kingdom, but you're not doing anything. And you know you need to be. This morning I'm going to pray, and when we pray, if that's you, I want you to join in and say, you know what, I need to be a part, not just exist in the kingdom of God, but be a part of the kingdom of God. Got to be a part of that. And when you're a part and you begin to know how to live and function and move in the kingdom, there's nothing like it because you're on the top. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We give you praise going on. Oh Lord, there's many under the sound of my voice that it's been a struggle. Life's been a struggle. For some, it's just been this week. For some, it's been years, months and years of just that up and down Struggle. Lord, I thank you that we're coming to the end of the struggle and we're going to walk in the garden that you've intended for us. We're going to live the garden life. We're going to take our position that you've provided for us, that we're going to be on the top in life. We're going to live life on the top from this day forward. We're going to step into who we are. We are your children. We are ambassadors for you. We're your representatives. Where the head were not the tail, you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and Lord, I proclaim and say now that I receive your promises that are in your word, and I bind every single voice that comes against me that says otherwise, because whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven, whatever I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And Lord, I thank you for your anointing and your presence released in my life right now. I thank you for your anointing, your presence released in those under the sound of my voice right now. I thank you for it. Give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.